the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The following program's views, claims, or representations may not reflect those of AM 1420 The Answer or Salem Media Group. When it comes to your investments and retirement, in this economy, it's important to be smart. And with the Smart Investor Hour heard right here on AM 1420 The Answer, you'll get smart and intelligent information you'll need to help with your investing. So sit back, listen, and learn with your host of the Smart Investor Hour, Tim Hayes of RBC Wealth Management. Good morning, everybody. I uh, hope you had a great week. And let's just start off with just one quote this week. Find a purpose in life so big, it will challenge every capacity to be at your best. That's that's a good one. Uh, that's, I think it's uh, David McKay uh, who, who started that. But uh, as always, we, we talk about our uh, webpage a little bit and you know, this week I thought was kind of interesting. We we added uh, a new, you know, we, we have a lot of managed accounts and we have some really, really high quality money managers. So not only do we have the dividend growth portfolio, but we have Zach's dividend strategies been added to the RBC program, which I think is kind of good. If you'd like more information on that, you know, just what you do is Google Tim Hayes Radio. I show up, you can hit the contact me, email me, it's all over the place. But why are there... Uh, there's a few things on that web page that you, you should take a look at. The Market Week gives you a wrap-up. It's amazing how many people don't know what's going on in the stock market. I mean, I just had a guy come into my office uh, this week, and he said, well, the market's up 15%, isn't it? And I said, mm down 15% in the last three weeks, as a matter of fact. You know, so, uh, you know, the Market Week kind of gives you an update on everything's going on and gives you some facts and figures. Also, the technical analysis, Bob Dickey, I sent a piece out uh, on uh, All Souls Day, and uh, I thought it was kind of interesting. Uh, you know, everybody, you know, that we we rallied two days in a row. Everybody thinks it's over, and I don't think it's over. So, and we also have some stuff, on, some tips on uh, cybersecurity and why we think interest rates are going to probably stay lower for longer. Um, you know, I, I listened to a piece by uh, from our head strategist Lori Calsabina, and she's quite bright, by the way, and. Uh, she she had some very interesting points, and I'm going to review them next week. Uh, but one of the things she talked about was energy had the best year-over-year uh, increase in earnings and gross margins, which I think is interesting. So we have our global best uh, ideas in the uh, energy field. We also have our Imagine 2025 portfolio. These are the stocks that you buy now and just hold on to them until 2025. We think they'd be good. You know, she also made a case for how cheap uh, small caps were, and I think that, you know, our small cap list or our guided portfolio all cap list, uh, that is really good. And then we always have our top pick list, which I, I use quite regularly, and our top global ideas. Um, so anyway, um, oh, uh, by the way, we have a new newsletter for the month of November, and it, it says the, the tech stock could, tech stocks or the tech sector could be dominating your portfolio. You got to be kind of careful with that. And infographic, financial lessons from football, and 10-year end tax tips. So uh, uh, that comes monthly, by the way. We, we don't harass you. We don't call you. We don't do all that stuff. Uh, if anything, you get an email from me occasionally. If you want to talk to me, I've I got a lot of good ideas right now, a lot of good ideas. Okay, so uh, anyway, American officials estimate the U.S. loss at least $550 million in customs revenue year, each year. To the tariff uh, evasion. Meanwhile, customs says less than 5% of U.S. imports are physically open for checks. So do you really know? According to the International Civil Aviation Organization, more than 30 trillion frequent fire miles are currently sitting in unspent accounts. Wow. According to a survey by Prosper Insight Analytics, the most expensive part of Halloween is the costumes. Just under 70% of Americans will spend $3.2 billion on them. Boy, we had some really interesting stuff. <laughs> there was a guy that had, uh, you know, cuts on his face, blood running down, and I thought for sure he'd just been, you know, met mugged <laughs> uh, at the local grocery store I go to occasionally. So that that, that was kind of interesting. Anyway, uh, so, you know, uh, we're still, I think we're still talking about spooky because, uh, you know, 
The yield curve, a lot of discussion about that. It's, the yield curve has been flattening, no matter what anybody says. And it is important to note that even in, if the yield curves does invert, equity markets may first deliver a treat uh, before they trick you. And the yield curve is a very powerful signal for, for the markets, by the way, in the economy. An inverted yield curve, that's when the negative spread between the 10-year and the 2-year uh, Treasury note yields often singles a, re- a recession. Matter of fact, it's it's been you know, quite regular, but there's usually a big return on equities before that. So uh, I think what you want to be probably be doing right now is if they do invert it, is you want to start to buy the long end of the yield curve, okay? Um, so it, it is kind of a spooky curve. And, and remember what we talked about. You know, we thought it was time for the financials to step up to the plate last week, and they did, okay, very big. We also talked about that domestic equities uh, went, you know, uh, they didn't, Pass the bogey test with cash, okay, and, th- and that's a problem. Meaning that you know uh, they're still the number one asset class, but cash might be a better place to be right now. Um, and I noticed something Monday, and I, I thought I'd mention this. Uh, you know, Monday of last week, we were up three hundred fifty points, then we were down five eighty, and you know, think uh, I needed a, a neck brace to watch what was going on. And you know what? At the end of the day, the S and P five hundred finished down one point four percent. The S&P 500 equal weight index was unchanged. And I knew right then and there we were going to have a rally. And uh, so we did. And uh, uh, But I don't think it's the, you know, I think there's some really good things to buy. People aren't buying them yet, but I think they will be. I will mention that healthcare jumped over the industrial sector this week. And utilities uh, jumped uh, over energy this week uh, in the dynamic asset level process. So uh, healthcare is number two. And uh uh, utilities are now uh, number seven. Um, but, you know, we've been talking about this value growth thing, and, and value has been outperforming uh, for a while. So um, and we've also been talking about the amount of cash that's out there. I mean, there's a trillion, I mean, $11 trillion in cash. And that's a lot, folks. I mean, that's a whole bunch. Um, that's 30% more than we've ever had. So now, look, uh, the U.S. Treasury Department expects debt issuance in 2018 to reach $1 trillion. So what we're going to find out pretty soon is that we're going to be issuing debt to pay the interest on our debt. Uh, that's that's not a good thing. But look, everybody's talking about the yield curve, so let's talk about it a little bit more. You know, everybody's saying it's different this time, and using a yield curve as a recession signal is not something that uh, I invented. Okay, it's predictable. Uh, well, I'll just say its predictive ability has been known and extremely studied for decades. And it's got a very strong track record. Uh, the signal from the recent flattening of the yield curve has been dismissed by many market makers and uh, and many policymakers at the Fed. And the most prominent argument made for why the signal uh, from the yield curve is not valid this time around is the quantitative easing programs. We'll find that out pretty soon. But there is a thing called a term premium, and uh, that's the 10-year Treasury term premium estimate, Okay. Term premiums are not as low as the Fed model says because term premiums cannot be uh, observed. Investors must rely on model estimates. So people don't really know what's going on there. But um, I think a couple other things. QE may have flattened the yield curve, but the Treasury issuance has steepened it because the amount of, you know, uh, uh, you know, bonds we've been putting out. So uh, look, you know, Post the crisis, duration supply uh, surge has caused yields to rise versus, you know, what they call swap yields. So uh, the experience of the last decade offers a really interesting contrast. The total amount of Treasury duration risk uh, held by the public increased dramatically between late 2008 and mid-2011. As interest rates fell, the deficit ballooned, and the the Treasury Department began to extend the average maturity of its debt portfolio. Uh, so you're seeing uh, something happen that we haven't seen in a long time. So post-crisis regulatory changes and foreign exchange re- re- uh, reversed intervention have contributed to a steeper yield curve, and it's going to stay that way. So I think what you're going to find is supply and regulation have caused the, the Treasury curve to be unduly steep, and normally we might have already been uh, inverted. So... So a lot of the survey data that we have found uh, uh, correlates or corroborates, I should say, the the yield curve signal. So a flat yield uh, curve coincides with dimmer uh, 
views of the future normally, just so you know. Uh, and I think that's what the, the, you know, what we're seeing in the market, in the stock market, is the same thing. And um, look, the, the recession pro- uh, probability model in in yield uh, curve scenarios is is pretty good. Uh, usually, when the yield curve flattens, you've you've got a, a problem. And by the way, you usually rally in the stock market and then uh, take it from there. So, um, you know, there was a couple comments by uh, competitors. And they said basically the Fed and other developed market central banks are in fundamentally different places than in 2010 and 2017. With core inflation picking up, this makes it materially more difficult to sound dovish while remaining consistent to the mandate to contain prices. So, uh, you know, I guess there's more than one reason to suggest why you buy equities. But, uh, you know, I, I think that uh, it's going to it's going to be a bit of a problem for a while. The Fed's not going to be able to be dovish. And, uh, you know, everybody's waiting for the Fed to bail them out like the old Greenspan put, and it might not happen this time. So, now, look, so far through October 29th, about a half of the U.S. companies have, uh, or in the S&P 500, have reported earnings. 77 have reported earnings per share above the consensus estimate, which is higher than the five-year average of 71, by the way. Actual earnings have beat estimates by 6.5%, which also tops the five-year average of 4.6. So this means that more than two-thirds of the companies have reported earnings that have exceeded expectations. Now, it appears we are experiencing some kind of decoupling in earnings-price relationships or that stocks already have priced in these earnings because we've actually seen most of these companies have their shares Prices decreased by 1.5% on average. Over the last five years, companies that have exceeded earnings have seen their shares rise an average of 1%. So it's a very unusual period of time. And, um, you know, will it continue? I don't know. But, you know, we've been talking about growth and value. And I, I think, uh, you know, growth is still in favor over value as a long-term investment strategy. And, and there are sectors which are typically considered to be value or defensive that have demonstrated increased relative strength in, in the last couple of months. You know, we've been talking about those. We talked about buying utilities this summer, you know, that type of thing. And um, utilities have demonstrated really near-term strength. As a matter of fact, I looked at several of the the equal weight utility ETFs, and uh, they have uh, done quite well. And, uh, you know, it be interesting to see if they hold up. But their score, uh, their scores have increased the way, the way we look at things. And, so, you know, that's very interesting. And, and staples are probably still the one area, I think, that are still cheap. So, but one, you know, if you, if you look at the ETF models uh, and you look at pure value versus pure growth and cash on a daily basis, um, you know, it, it's, it's becoming pretty interesting. Uh, you know, you, you'd probably hold the, the, uh, the growth portfolio at this point. Uh, but what we're starting to see is there's several sectors of the uh, the value group starting to kick into gear. Now, the relative strength between the value and the growth has been in the column of O since May of 2017, favoring uh, growth over value. But due to recent improvement in value, the chart is less than 2% away from a potential buy so or reversal up. So that's kind of interesting. So uh, some interesting stuff happening. Hey, let's take a break. This is the Smart Investor Show. We'll be right back. Stay tuned. A local window company in business for 58 years. That's no accident. I'm with my friend Bill from Empire Window Company. Bill, I like what you stand for. You make buying windows simple. At Empire Window Company, you'll get a great product and you'll get a fair price. We've been in business longer than most of our competitors put together, almost 60 years now, and we're local. Before you make a decision, you're going to want to give us a call. You'll be happy you did. To celebrate 58 years right now, get eight quality windows for your home from $58 a month. Call 855-76-EMPIRE. Choose from double hung, sliding, casement and awning, bow and bay windows, 855-76-EMPIRE. And if you're thinking about vinyl siding, try 35% off and free gutters with your siding project. You can see what replacement windows and siding would look like on your home before you buy on Empire's free online design center. Visit EmpireWindowCompany.com. 58 years, that's a lot of satisfied customers. Empire Window Company, 855-76-EMPIRE. 
With a stethoscope in one hand, a Bible in the other, and a doctor's bag filled with herbs, superfoods, and vitamins, Dr. Christosik is ready for a live organic conversation with you. Back to the Garden Health Talk Radio. Chronic disease is on the rise in our country, and it's at epidemic proportions. Dr. Christozik will teach you how to unlock the healing power of nature inside you. He's here to educate, not medicate, and he does it with common sense, science, and always in cooperation with nature. Join us Saturday mornings at 8 a.m. on AM 1420, The Answer. At RBC Wealth Management, we are proud of our reputation for putting clients' interests first. Our steadfast commitment to helping clients achieve their financial goals includes giving back to the communities we serve. Through supporting youth education, human services, and the arts, we hope to make tomorrow better for everyone. Call Tim Hayes at 216-774-8906. RBC Wealth Management, a division of RBC Capital Markets, LLC, member NYSC, FINRA, SIPC. Okay, we're back. If you just tuned in, this is the Smart Investor Show. I'm Tim Hayes. If you didn't hear all of what I had to say last time or would like to hear a couple more shows, you can always go to WHK1420 and hit the local podcasts and go down, and uh, there I am, okay? Um, what's interesting, um, they come out Monday about noon, so you're a couple of days late, but um, you know, a couple of days, if you're, if you're looking at a long-term portfolio, it's not bad. And uh, you can see if, you know, when I say something like on the show, did I say this, did I say that, you can see if I said it or not, okay? Um, and, uh, you know, feel free. Um, but look, uh, we are now below 30% uh, on the bullish percent. And if you, you know, if you know what the bullish percent is, we go in vast detail in the next segment of the show. But it's our main indicator. So it goes from 0 to 100. When we get over 70 that's when things are too hot to handle, okay? That's when everybody's talking about their portfolio. You should be scared at that point. When we get below 30, that's when you should be bullish. Now, we haven't turned up yet, all right? So you never anticipate an anticipator. We'll let you know when we turn up. But I thought it would be good to go back maybe, you know, a, a bit of a time and and just see, uh, you know, what happened in, in other periods. Now, we're still in a column of O's, like I said, so until we get into a column of X's. And, and by the way, when you have sell-offs, sometimes you go into a column of X's, then you go reverse back into a column of O's, so you test that low a couple times. But, you know, we're below 30 now. We're at 29, actually 28.4. And I just thought I'd look back over the last 20 years and just give you maybe four or five versions. Like in 1998, we had what we called the Asian flu, which spread to the U.S. markets. The bullish percent had fallen to 20% by August of 1998, and the initial uh, reversal occurred in September and took the indicator up to a reading of 32. Then there was a retest. Same thing happened. But by early November, uh, we had rallied all the way up to uh, 60%. So we had just a massive move, okay? In 2001, 2002, the tech bubble reached a peak in early 2000, and by 2001, the effects of the burst were being felt across all the market. And the column of O's that began in July of 2001 was hastened by terrorist attack on 9-11, as you may recall. I recall that, a living infamy. Um, it, it fell below 30% that month. And then from October sec, uh, October 2001 to 2002, the BP rallied nicely. But then the summer of, of uh, 2002, the indicator fell back to 24. Uh, the versal came back up in, in, the, in 2003 and et cetera. In 2008, 2009, this was a frustrating time for the bullish percent as an indicator. Um, as the unruly volatility, you know, that we saw back then led an, an oscillating pattern on the chart. And in, in fact, the chart moved below and back above 30% four times from January through November of 2008. Uh, so we had a quite a few retests is what it came down to. And, uh, Finally, it wasn't until March of 2009, I remember this big, because it was March 9th, by the way, and uh, I couldn't get anybody to answer the phone, <laughs> calling people to buy buy stocks, and they, you know, you had generational buying opportunity, I thought, but 2011, we found a high in January uh, at 80, but spent the remainder of the year making lower tops and lower lows. A bearish pattern uh, like like this on an indicator chart tells us that leadership is, is narrowing, there's fewer and fewer stocks are able to par- uh, participate in bounces. Uh, the initial move below 30 happened in August. As you may recall, that was a bad month in 2011. That's when the, uh, the debt rating was downgraded for the first time. And, uh, we had, we went down to 18 
uh, by, by October and then turned around and uh, we went up from there. 2015-16, the bullish percent fell from t- to 24% in August of 2015, which was quickly followed by a bounce and then a retest. Um, that was due to the oil bubble blowing up in the Chinese economy, and it fell below 30 again. Uh, then we had a move up to 50. So uh, it, it does get a little bit volatile, and it doesn't always stop the first time around, and that's what you should know. So um, if we look between 1998 and 2017, the bullish percent below 30 uh, for one month occurred 0.4% of the time. Uh, for three months occurred 2.8. For six months, 9.4. And for 12 months uh, occurred 16.5. So look, here's the pros and cons of this situation as I see it right now. Short-term indicators are oversold. The, the the PT New York Stock Exchange below 50 and O's, which is good. Uh, the uh, the um, the TW New York Stock Exchange, and I can't remember what that stands for, is at 12%, which is is good. Uh, the short-term trend charts are are uh, for major industries are mostly negative, and the New York High Low Index, meaning the number of new highs versus new lows, are at six percent. The bullish percent is is below is below thirty, so that's good. Now the pros are the U.S. equities are still ranked number one over all different asset classes. Remember, in two thousand seven and eight, they were last, so it was a big difference there. Long term trend for most of the major indices are positive. The weekly distribution is in a column of X's. Bonds versus uh, equities favors equities, uh, so risk is on. Uh, the U.S. equity core percentage is about 95%. So that's, uh, you know, g- good stuff. Now, look, here's a couple things that I think are, are important, and I'm, then I'm going to go into a bit, you know a little bit of what I see out there. A lot of people are not paying attention to energy, and I think energy stocks are cheap, and they, like I said, they have been showing the best year-over-year comparisons. So I don't know what gets them going, but uh, look, we're going to become a net exporter. Remember I said this on the show back in 2003 and 4 people thought I was nuts. <laughs> I got a lot of emails that basically told me I was nuts. I was also saying that you you know you should get out of housing and uh, I had a few interesting emails on that too, but look, there's a case for ma- master limited partnerships, there's a case for energy stocks. And if we become the dominant country which we now we produce more oil than any other country. Okay? The Permian Basin's huge. I mean, the Bakken, Montana is huge, and the Permian Basin is even bigger than that. And it's like ten times bigger. So there's a lot of stuff going on that people aren't paying attention to. And when we become an exporter in a big way, I mean, look, there's a biotech company out there that thinks they can turn natural gas into a liquid, and we burn more natural gas off than the city in Bakken, Montana, in a week. They burn off more natural gas than the city of New York uses in a year. And that's just Bakken. When I even talk about Permian Basin or East Texas or West Texas or Colorado or, you know, the uh, Utica Shale, okay? So, anyway, look, uh, we're down. The market's down. Been get, Ever since Jay Powell spoke, you could see that the market went straight down. And as usual, this is the case during a notable sell-off in the market. There's a, there's a lot of commentary been written on the subject. And, you know, you can blah, blah, this, blah, 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 this. You know, relatively stable companies have been holding up. They haven't been doing much for the last eight years. But what I think you want to be thinking about is buying quality. You know, it's hard to buy quality all the time. It's not always the great timing strategy, okay? But when everything's down, is a good time to buy quality. And, boy, I have I have a list of like seven stocks that I think are really, really good. Uh, I was looking at our guided portfolio, uh, and, boy, I've, I've – just have a whole bunch of names. Uh, one in the banking, a couple in the uh, finance area, a couple in the entertainment area. It looks great. I've got two massive stocks that look fantastic. And the next time they sell off, I'm going to be all over them like white on rice. So I just think what you have to be doing is saying, okay, how do I make my portfolio? How, how do I increase the quality of my portfolio? Okay. So now we're going to talk a little bit about what I'm seeing and what, uh, I, I've, what I've done is I've put a bunch of stuff together like, uh, my my stuff and and Bob Schleimer, who's at Fundstrat now, who used to be with uh, RBC, Bob Dickey, and just a whole bunch of other people that I I follow very very closely. 
So one of the things that, uh, you know, I talked about this summer, and I didn't really understand the meaning of it yet, but the, the, the small caps started to sell off, and I said, eh, we don't want to talk about those for a while, okay? But they didn't collapse to lower lows. I want you to think about that. And remember, I've been talking about this four-year cycle, okay? And I thought 2019 could be, a, you know, a sloppy year. Uh, 2018 is becoming a sloppy year, so who knows? Um, could I be wrong with that? Yeah, maybe. All right. But lots of sectors were breaking through trend lines in a fa- fairly serious way. And it all started July, I mean, October 3rd, when Jay Powell said he thought there'd be five more, uh, uh, you know, trend, trend, I mean, uh, interest rate hikes, which, you know, was big, you know. So, look, I think there's a couple things. Uh, we're, we're seeing uh, some weakness. We're seeing some key tests of support for oversold sectors. Uh, a lot of people poo-pooing the financials. I think that's what's going to lead us out. So, um, look, if you have some cash, you know, make yourself a shopping list. I've got a great shopping list. I, I have three financials, two communication services companies, I'll call them, uh, some discretionary stocks, uh, consumer discretionary. That's retail, just so you know. Uh, so I'm, I'm seeing some stuff that I like. Now, look, uh, we are seeing, like in the S&P uh, mini futures, some – the momentum is starting to get oversold, and that's kind of neat. The, the momentum in the Russell is pretty oversold, and it would be interesting to see if it turned up what would happen. Uh, the relative performance is fairly oversold, too, there. So, um, you know, we, we are seeing some things that I like. Now, unfortunately, if I look at the cyclical versus defensive sectors, it's broken. You know, if I put them on a chart together, one against the other, defensive sectors have taken over. The cyclical sectors just got whacked. And growth versus value is still, you know, I mean, still leaning towards growth, but value's catching up. So it'll be interesting to see if that turns. Usually when you have a big sell-off in the market, one takes over for the other and goes forward, okay? Uh, the global markets just, I don't see anything. I mean, they're testing the next retracement support right now. Uh, longer term, the downtrends intact. I don't see any signs of improving in the relative performance, so I don't know what to do with those. You know, they, they went right to resistance and then just fell off like a map. Uh, fell off the map, I mean, I'm sorry. The 10-year bond yields, you know, I, I still talk about that 340 uh, on the 10-year. Uh, we have not got through that. We're, at, we're now at 3%. I think somewhere along here you'll see uh, we may break down because the monthly momentum is very overbought, and uh, we'll see what happens. The dollar, the dollar is kind of neutral, and that's, Best I can say with it, uh, you know, it could turn positive pretty soon. Who knows? The euro has support at 113, and if it doesn't hold there, it could be uh, we could be in trouble. I still think there's big support. Oil actually broke its uptrend line, but I think there's there's big support in the 63 to 65 area, and we haven't break, broken 65 yet. So now utilities broke out this week, and staples still look good and, and cheap. And uh, healthcare, like I told you, is starting to accelerate. I think on the upside, so that's an area that. Those are three areas. I really like the staples. They're cheap. I don't, utilities are pretty expensive right now. The S&P 500, uh, the, the, um, financials still look shaky, but I think they're the ones that have to lead us out, uh, in my humble opinion. Software broke its uptrend line. Semiconductors look uh, very, very oversold, so there, there could be a bounce in those pretty quick. The industrial sector really got smoked, and so did the transport sector. So, uh, there we go. All right, we're going to be right back with the bullish percent, so stay tuned. Uh, this is the Smart Investor Show. Alvin, can I tell you a story? Yeah. Okay, a long time ago in a kingdom far away, a certain caveman named Donald stood up to a bunch of toxic swamp creatures and helped his fellow cavemen take their government back. Yay! It's incredible. And with my friend Tim Ragland, we tell the story. It's based on a true story of this noble caveman who defeats a group, a bipartisan group of cowardly swamp creatures. It's called Donald Drains the Swamp. Get your copy of this book by Eric Metaxas and Tim Ragland today at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and wherever books are sold. AM 1420, the answer. Hi, it's Dennis Prager for Window Nation. Temperatures are falling fast, and that is a great reminder that your window, pun intended, for getting new windows installed before the holidays and snow hits is closing. While most window companies are experiencing 12-week lead times, Window Nation can do it in less than half the time and save you half the money. 
Call today and get two free windows for every two you buy. Buy four, get four free. Buy six, get six free. No limit. There's only one thing better than free windows, free financing. And for the next two weeks, Window Nation is offering no interest for five years. New windows now and no interest for 60 months. Call the window company that over 80,000 homeowners have already trusted and take advantage of this amazing offer now and get two windows free for every two windows you buy and 0% interest for five years. Visit windownation.com and save this this winter and forever on your energy bills. Eliminate the nasty drafts and start enjoying all the benefits of new windows today. That's windownation.com or call 866-90-NATION today. When it comes to managing your retirement, it's easy to get lost. Look to RBC Wealth Management to guide you. Our experienced, knowledgeable financial advisors will build your investment strategy by designing a plan that's tailored to your unique financial needs. Call Tim Hayes at 216-774-8906. RBC Wealth Management, a division of RBC Capital Markets, LLC. Member NYSE, FINRA, SIPC. Visit rbcwealthmanagement.com. Okay, we're back. If you uh, just tuned in, this is Smart Investor Show. If you'd like to sit down and have a cup of coffee, um, you can either uh, go to my webpage, so you Google or Bing Tim Hayes Radio, and I show up, and you can hit the contact me or email me show uh, uh, email me button, or uh, you can just call us. Uh, you know, we're local in Cleveland here, uh, but if you're out and about, uh, I was using an 800 number anyway. 888-223-7742. That's 888-223-7742. So this bullish percent is, is not that difficult to figure out once you see it. And, it, you know, it might be good for you to come into my office and see it. But look, it, it, it's just a number of charts that are, are showing bullish tendencies and are the on buy signals versus sell signals. And what you find is when everything goes into a sell signal, look out below, there's some uh, distribution. But the chart goes from 0 to 100, and when you get over 70, that's when things are overheated. Remember, we were at 66 back in January. Uh, and, you know, then we get below 30, that's when, uh, you know, everybody's crying in their beer, and uh, that's when you should be greedy, okay? So the point is, is that, uh, we, oh, two, two other things. When you're in a column of X's, that's when the offensive team's on the field. Uh, when you're, in, you know, at the you're in a column of X's and you're at 70, you hand the ball off to the fullback. When you're in the 30s, you can throw the long pass, all right? So risk level can go up a little bit. Column of O's is distribution. It tends to happen faster. So uh, now there's some other things that go along with this. And like right now, domestic equities are the number one asset class. Remember back in 07 and 08 on this show, we talked about them being the lowest uh, asset class. They were, you know, cash was the best asset class. So that's where you should have been. So anyway, we're at 28.4%. We're down 4.2% for the week. So we're below 30. Now, it doesn't mean we have to stop and never anticipate an anticipator. What I think you want to do is look for some stocks. The first stocks I would look for are the ones that are very oversold for a bounce, see if they continue to bounce. But the ones that held up the best right now is where I'd start to nip away, all right? Uh, Because you're not going to buy at the low and you're not going to sell at the high because it doesn't happen. All right, uh, the over-the-counter index was down 3.3 to 27.2, getting much closer to the, the promised land. The world index was uh, 26.4, down 3.4%. They're all in a column of O's, so we're getting close. We're just not there yet. Uh, you know, you want to see it turn back up. And remember what I said earlier, sometimes when you get an oversold condition, you rally and then you come back and test it again, all right? Um, so all the high-low indexes are, you know, below 10 Okay, so that's the number of new highs versus the number of new, new lows divided by each other. So we chart those also. That pretty much shows an oversold scenario. And, you know, we had the bounce uh, the, during the week, so uh be interesting to see. I don't think this is over yet. Um, it's my opinion. Um, like I said, Monday I thought was interesting. I knew we were going to rally for a couple of days because S&P 500 was down 1.5%. The S&P 500 uh, equal weight index, which each stock gets one vote, okay, was unchanged. So some of the secondary stocks were doing quite well. If I look at the domestic equity rankings right now, equal weight's still more of a better place to be than capitalization weight. And capitalization, market capitalization is just the price of your stock divided by the number of your shares. Fairly easy. Uh, and if I was looking at domestic equities, small cap growth, large cap growth, mid cap growth look pretty good. Large cap values did last still. Uh, so we'll see. 
Then it goes technology, healthcare, industrials, and communication services. Uh, I mean, financials, con- communication services, con- uh, consumer cyclicals, and utilities. Utilities jumped over uh, uh, energy this week, so uh, energy has been taking a kind of a pause. Uh, most of the uh, indexes have had negative momentum for four or five weeks now, um, you know, in the small cap and the mid cap area, six to seven weeks. The QQQ has been negative for 10 weeks now, so uh, you should see some kind of shift there. Um, once again, we, we had just five sectors uh, that were positive this week, uh, and, and they were uh, restaurants were at 44, oil and medical were at 38, Healthcare and business were 34. They're the only favored sectors right now. Remember, we had 29.30 back in January, so we've we've retested everything. However, there are a lot of sectors, and I, I'm going to repeat this from last week, uh, that are below 30 right now, and these are ones you want to look look for. Uh, auto parts saw a lot of those bounce. They're at 18. Biogenetics start to saw them bounce on on Wednesday. Uh, building materials. Chemicals, they're at 24%. Electronics, 28. Gaming, 22. Household goods, 22. Internet, 28. Machinery and tools, 24. Uh, metal non-ferrous, 28. Precious metals, 18. Semiconductors, 20. Software, 28. Steel and iron, 18. Textiles and apparel, 18. Transportation, 28. Wall Street, 24. Uh, semicond- oh, I, I'm sorry. Uh, and trans, yeah, I get transports at 28. So, Wow, a lot of names down there that are interesting. Uh, Medical Group did come up to favored status this week. Uh, Precious metals came to average. Oil service uh, is having a hard time with this all, with the uh, price of oil backing up for a couple weeks. And building materials really got pummeled. So, you know, that's what we're seeing. The the Chinese market continues to get beat up. Uh, It it bounced a little bit last week and went right back into a column of O's. So we'll see what happens there. Uh, You know, I think it's it's kind of an interesting time for – international markets because i don't think alibaba is going away uh but it, it sure seems like that right at the moment so uh in japan you know we talked about japan breaking out and then it it broke a double bottom last last week and put another zero on the mark this week so it you, we're still seeing weakness there uh the fixed income uh, scenario is such that uh you know each of the major u.s treasury yield indices the five-year, which is the FYX, the 10-year, the TNX, and the 30-year TYX remain a column of O's. That means that, you know, we're talking about the yield indexes now. So when a column of X's, that means the yield's going up, but they're all in a column of O's right now. Um, so despite the fact that yields have backed off uh, somewhat over the, you know, from the multi-year highs they just recently established, um, you know, the inverse group remain. You know, so the ETFs that you can go inverse, so you, if you can, you kind of shorten bonds, uh, still look the best. Uh, so we'll see. Most of the commodity indexes uh, held up pr- pretty well. However, copper has, uh, you know, been uh, is down like seventeen percent since June, um, and uh, oil's backed off about six bucks. So uh, we're we're seeing some of these things uh, bounce, and it's kind of interesting. Some of the other commodities are holding up, so we'll just see if they're going to turn here. You know, commodities are still below average uh, on the uh, as we score them. So, um, but you know, it's it's funny because the safe havens. You know, people normally, you know, when when stocks sell off, they go into bonds and gold. Gold had a quick rally and then it died, and uh, bonds really haven't rallied that much. You would think they'd rally more, and that might have to do with the, the amount of issuances we, we uh, put out there. So, um, I, I don't have a lot of. Uh, uh, relative strength buys or sells. Uh, matter of fact, I'm not even going to go over them because there's so few. But I, I do want to talk about uh, some things that occurred this week. You know, uh, we had in the dynamic asset level investing, a couple things. You know, technology, healthcare came in number two. Industrials are number three. Financials number four. But then utilities became number five this week. So utilities have really broken out. And uh, uh, I, I find that kind of fascinating. Uh, the other thing is uh, enter, uh, consumer non-cyclicals, which is retail. Uh, and, I'm sorry, that's consumer uh, cyclical. And consumer non-cyclicals re- are now have the same place. Okay, so uh, staples are picking up a little bit. And communication services were also 140. That's, the, you know, the uh, uh, the people who make movies and things like that um, and uh, 
are in that also in the telecommunications industry. So that that's an interesting one because the charts there held up fairly really felt really well. So so we have the the bullish percent below 30 and uh you know that occurred late Friday. I said I I thought that might have happened, but it's you know it it's not it's never a comfortable feeling watching it go below 30. <laughs> Historically, we've seen some pretty attractive uh, buying levels when it's occurred. So the changes in the indi- uh, indicator landscape places uh, still we're still in a defensive mode. So um, how do you respond? Well, you start to look at names that held up pretty well. And look, here's a couple things that I think you got to pay attention to. The the McQuellen oscillator uh, hits uh, on Wednesday. I think it was minus seven hundred. Uh, I'm talking about the summation index now. Minus seven hundred and sixty-three. Okay, that's a pretty big number, and it's. Uh, I think the only time it was lower than that in the last two years was in January. So we're 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 starting to see pretty oversold level levels, but the oscillator actually went up. Uh, you know, it's it's minus forty-one as we speak, and um, it's it's up from last week. So some interesting things going down. So, you know, the number of stocks holding up are less, but the, the actual thing is turning a little bit. So look, when the bullish percents in the 30% range, um, you still want to keep a, a defensive posture because you don't, you know, it could go to 12. All right. We don't know. So, but I think you want to start to, uh, start to think aggressively on the offense and you want to start to pick out stocks that you, you like, uh, that you'd like to own that you haven't been able to own for a while. Okay. Now I would suggest that the leaders in the past may not be the leaders in the future. Okay. So when you have market sell-offs, there's usually a change in leadership in the air. Uh, remember the last sell-off, uh, you know, uh, back, uh, in 2015, the biotechs have been leading the way. Biotechs took a back seat. And the technology stocks picked up. Okay, so growth started to go, uh, was going strong for there for a while. So, um, you know, th- th- you got to think that way. Uh, I think you got to think that way. So, anyway, there was big support on the, on the, uh, the Dow, uh, around, you know, the 23,400 level, uh, maybe 2,400, you know, somewhere between those two levels. That's where I would, su- you know, suggest that you start to really get aggressive. Uh, I think some stocks are not going to go back down there. Okay. You know, they're not going down to their new lows. So you got to figure out which ones those are. And I, I've making a list already. So, uh, I, I just think it's important that you, you pay particular attention as to, okay, here's the stock I want to buy that went, what was the low? Do I think it's going to hit a new low? And I think in some cases it's going to be the answer to that is no. So I think we're having a change in leadership. So the ones that are going to lead are probably the ones that held the best. Just so you know. Um, I am I am seeing um, you know if I look at directional scores uh, they look pretty ugly across the board right now um, so the direction of the groups are are not in too good a shape and I think that is uh, very interesting and one of the things that everybody's in is index funds and they they are starting to look really ugly so uh, you want to be careful with your index funds uh, as far as I'm concerned now look uh, Equity markets in years after midterms are notably stronger. So uh, since 1896, during the years post-midterm, equity gains are about 14% compared to non-midterm years of of 8.4. So don't forget that. Hey, we're going to be right back with the the insider buys. Stay tuned. This is the Smart Investor Show. Sound familiar? You exercise, watch what you eat, but the weight just doesn't come off like it used to. Well, Dr. Abood from Nutramost Solon might have your answer. He's here with me now. Dr. Abood, so many people find themselves asking the question, why can't I lose this weight? We see that every day and it's so frustrating following a divorce, the job loss, the birth of a child, menopause. You can think of it like a tornado has whipped through your body and it's thrown your hormones and your neurotransmitters.
blinders off, but your body does the strangest thing to protect you. Here's what it does. It slows down your metabolism so that you hold on to fat. And if we're not able to identify what that tornado threw off, you're always going to struggle with being able to lose weight. So that's what the biometric analysis is going to do. It's going to tell us what are the right foods for you. What did that tornado throw off? And we'll supply it and the pounds will fall off. Call Dr. Abood at Nutramost Solon today, 440-669-0050 or log on to slendersolon.com. With a stethoscope in one hand, a Bible in the other, and a doctor's bag filled with herbs, superfoods, and vitamins, Dr. Christosik is ready for a live organic conversation with you. Back to the Garden Health Talk Radio. Chronic disease is on the rise in our country, and it's at epidemic proportions. Dr. Christosik will teach you how to unlock the healing power of nature inside you. He's here to educate, not medicate, and he does it with common sense, science, and always in cooperation with nature. Join us Saturday mornings at 8 a.m. on AM 1420, The Answer. Wouldn't it be nice to keep income rolling in even long after you retire? At RBC Wealth Management, we can help you invest for the future that you want and create a personalized plan to help you create the steadfast flow of income you'll need throughout your retirement. Call Tim Hayes at 216-774-8906. RBC Wealth Management, a division of RBC Capital Markets, LLC, member NYSC, FINRA, SIPC. Okay, we're back. If you just tuned in, this is the Smart Investor Show. Once again, if you'd like to have a cup of coffee and talk about your portfolio, uh, we're, we're in Cleveland, uh, but if you want to, uh, I always just throw the 800 number out there because it's cheaper for you. It's 888-223-7742. That's 888-223-7742. Or if you like, uh, to, there's a whole bunch of reports you can get. I think the dividend growth portfolio and the prime income list right now are great ideas, Okay. Uh, these are dividend growth portfolio is just that we're looking for companies that grow their dividend year in, year out. And then, uh, the prime income list is for you retirees who are looking for a little bit higher yield. It's yielding about 4.6% right now. That's pretty good. And, uh, has, you know, about uh, 75% of the volatility of the S and P 500. And, uh, you know, just remember dividends are taxed at a much cheaper level than bonds and, and CDs. Okay. Uh, we do have our, uh, our top idea list and, uh, the all cap growth one is one I'd be looking at right now. Anyway, we always talk about insiders because insiders are smart people. They know the company better than we do, right? Uh, so by the way, just so you know, uh, in published reports, uh, out of the New York Times about five years back, uh, they said that analysts are right about 59% of the time. Now, given, look, analysts have a tough job in that they're supposed to tell you what is the best idea in their group all right the timing is tough remember we're what we're trying to do on this show is put the timing together with the fundamentals okay so what to buy and when to buy they tell you what to buy when to buy it is important now one of the things that you have to look at is insider buys now insiders are notoriously early and uh you know i saw several that i really liked here uh Cybone, which is a biotech, uh, there was three buyers of 14.7 million. Uh, we talked about, uh, Fasabio Pharmaceuticals. There was two buyers of 1.6 and, uh, Heister Yale Materials. Man, you know, we had a whole bunch of buys last week and, and then a week before too, and another 37 people bought $1.7 million worth. And Crystal Biotech, we had two buyers of a million. And then First Horizon Bancorp, uh, we had uh, one buyer of 788000 We Actually, we had a couple buyers there. And uh, we had uh, several regional banks. Uh, Independent Bank Group, as you may recall, there were several buyers a couple weeks ago. Well, we had three more buyers. They're all directors to the tune of 554000 245000 and 200000 uh, That's kind of interesting. Now, we also had Sarepta Therapeutics. Uh, and this is... The CEO and the, the president and CEO, uh, he bought two, two million nine thousand dollars worth. I love when, you know, it's, you, you pay attention when, uh, <laughs> presidents and CEOs, uh, buy. And Cullen Frost Bankers, uh, we had a director buy five million dollars worth and Fidelity National, I, 
These are all financials. Like I said, I think the financials have to get us out of this, okay? Uh, a director bought a million dollars worth. Oh, American Airlines. I thought this was kind of interesting. A director bought $808,000. It's the first time that director's bought uh, anything in a long, long time. Now, here's another one that I really like. Morgan Stanley has been buying Roku stock, uh, and uh, they're up to about 5%. They, they crossed the 5% threshold, so they have to report. And, uh, you know, if you don't know what Roku is, it's it uh, you don't own a smart TV probably. Uh, also, uh, uh, Assign or ASGN Incorporated, which is staffing out serving. Uh, there's a director named Ed Sheridan. He's a pretty smart guy. He bought $1.3 million worth. And then I, a couple small ones that I, I found that I thought were really kind of interesting. Eric's Biosciences. Okay. Um, we had a gentleman buy 700,000 shares. Uh, and, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Eric's Biosciences bought Logic Biotherapeutics, and uh, they bought 700,000 shares at 10. We had a director also bought 4.2 million, another director 1.1, another director bought 7 million, and another director bought 4.2 million of Logic Bio uh, uh, Therapeutics. So that's uh, very interesting. And we talked about um, Seagate. Uh, you know, that Value Act back in uh, August bought uh, 8% of the company. And we also had uh, the CFO, v, uh, VP, and CEO all buy pretty large quantities of Seagate. And it's got a big dividend, okay? So we'll, we'll see what happens. Um, we, we also noticed that uh, Park Chung, who's a, he's a director at Seagate, just bought uh, oh, about $124,000 worth, but he, he, he continues to buy but we had four, five, five, one, two, five, six directors all buy about 5,000 shares, 5,200 shares each. So you know, they're selling the stock off, but everybody's buying. So that's kind of interesting. And, and also VF Corp, we had two buyers of $550,000 each. Uh, VF Corp, you know, it's Levi's and that type of thing. Um, and then a couple more. Uh, and this is uh, MRKR is a symbol. It's a little biotech, and we noticed that uh, there was a new enterprise just announced uh, Associates, which is a limited liability corp, just said they own 17.8% of the company. And we had uh, Peter Honig buy $1.4 million and another uh, couple buy 300,000 shares and 500,000 shares at about 8 bucks. So, uh, you know, there's some big, big buys there. That's MRKR. And here's one that's down. Here's a couple that are down big. 3M just got hammered, and we had uh, a director, the oldest director, by $184,000 worth, which isn't much, by the way, but it's better than, you know, you'd like to see him buy down. And then Texas Instruments got beat up pretty bad. Uh, we had a director uh, uh, and a very smart director buy a million dollars worth. And then our favorite, Elon Musk, bought another $9.874 million worth of Tesla. So there we go. So. All right, now now we can talk a little bit, uh, you know, what I'm seeing. And look, um, the, the market pullbacks and corrections are different each time. So, and, you know, we found the best time to be more aggressive on the buy side and when there's the least indication of a bottom, okay, uh, which is hard to see on a daily basis. You know, you got to take a little bit of a longer view. But a bottom is usually made over a period of time that involves some testing of the low point. So if you have a low... It tested four or five times. I mean, if we go back to you know January, we tested it again and uh, tested the January or the February low again in uh, uh, last part of March, early April, and then again in in May. All right, so we we actually had three bottoms before we started to to take off a little bit. So I don't think we're at the bottom. I don't think we're even uh, you know I I think that on the S and P five hundred, I think it's like twenty five fifty. I think the Dow is like twenty four thousand, maybe even a little bit lower than that. So. Uh, but, you know, look, these trading ranges, they develop and they stay like this for a pretty long time. And, uh, I, I mean, look, go back to, you know, in, in 2015, when we, well, actually 2014, we, we went back that far. You know, we, ha- we had a sideways movement for like two and a half years, all right? Uh, and, but we had some whoops, whoopses in that two times, uh, you know, a couple 10, 12% corrections during that period of time, which are scary, you know, and they're always scary, but uh, it, it's not the end of the world. So, you know, basically, um, look, I, I talked last week about the study on dividends, and I've been p- 
pound, pound the table in the dividend growth portfolio since the summer. Uh, but, but low risk doesn't always mean low return. Okay. Over a long period of time, uh, these things do ex- extremely well. So, you know, what you want to do is look at the dividends, especially the dividend growth portfolios. Those are the important ones. And as the dividend growth portfolio, as the growth grows on the, on the dividend, uh, you find uh, you have less volatility. <laughs> uh, it, it, it occurs. Now, it also helps you replace your paycheck over time. If you're 40 years old or 45 years old right now and you start reinvesting uh, these dividends, uh, now you may miss, look, uh, GE was a bad one, okay? Uh, but they had cut their dividend a couple times, so you had your warnings. But look, if you have good high-quality stocks, uh, you know, really, really high quality, like we talked about earlier in the show, you know, now's the time to buy high quality. Now's the time to buy the dividend growth because the yields are up. Remember, we buy yield when it's up. We, we don't, uh, you know, it's, it's a good time to do it. I, I also think that there's a lot of these companies that are growing their dividend between 8 and 9% a year. And if nothing happens, that's a good return. Okay. So if you, if you, but if you're buying this back, you're buying at lows, you're buying at highs, you're, dollar cost averaging you're compounding your investment and if you're 40 by the time you're 65 and you start replacing your paychecks with dividends life will be good trust me on that one so we have two portfolios the dividend growth portfolio and the prime income list right now that that i think are pretty good uh uh scenarios so look i i think uh we're in a situation where we're probably gonna have a sideways movement for a bit longer and i when i say a bit I'm not suggesting that it's the end of the world or anything like that. I just think it might be another six months to a year. So in the short t- term, I think we have a correction going, okay? In the intermediate term, I'm a bit neutral. In the long term, I'm talking months to years now, I'm extremely bullish. And the the most money you're going to make in the stock market is when stocks are down. You just don't know it yet. It's that simple. So the most money you're going to make is when you buy in situations like this. As scary as it is, you know, when your stomach's churning, it's the best time to buy. Uh, not all my clients agree with me. They think I'm nuts sometimes, but trust me, Warren Buffett will say the same thing. I know I've even heard him say the same thing. So look, uh, here's what I'd be doing right now. I'd be uh, calling Tim or, or texting him or emailing him and saying, hey, I'd like uh, the dividend growth portfolio, the prime income list. I still think oil is a, you know, the best global oil ideas is a good place to be. If the year over year improvement is the best there is on the S&P 500, the market's going to figure that out pretty quick. And I think it's going to be sooner than later. Also, our guided portfolio, all cap. This is small caps, large caps. They're best ideas basically across the board is probably a good place to be looking right now. Okay. Because, uh, Lori Calcivina, Thinks small caps are very attractive. She just doesn't know what the trigger is to get them going. If she could figure that out, then she'd be, you know, talking about small caps big. By the way, she was the head of small cap and mid cap strategy at Credit Suisse, so she knows what she's doing. <laughs> uh, anyway, also, you know, don't forget, we're going to start to be an exporter of oil stocks coming up here. All right. I mean, of oil coming up here. And if, our, my, one of my favorite biotech stocks can turn oil, I mean, turn natural gas into a liquid. Oh my goodness. It'll be huge for the oil business. Put Russia out of business, by the way. Uh, they'll probably go to war. Uh, in the meantime, you know, uh, we got a lot of stuff that you can do. Just go to Tim Hayes, you know, Google or, or Bing Tim Hayes radio and I'll show up and, uh, you can get any of this stuff while they're there. Look at Bob Dickey's technical analysis. He's our head technical strategist. He's very good at what he does. Sometimes if you see something, you understand a little bit better. Also, the market week keep you up to date. Thanks for listening to the Smart Investor Show. To Grace and Alex, I hope you live for a long, long time together. And uh, my daughter's getting married this weekend, ladies and gentlemen. Have a good weekend. Buy low, sell high. This is the Smart Investor Show. I'm Tim Hayes. Thanks for listening to the Smart Investor Hour. To reach Tim during the week, call him toll-free, 888-223-7742. That's 888-223-7742. 7742 or visit his website rbcwmfa.com slash tim hayes that's all one word in the address bar rbcwfma.com slash tim hayes 
please join us again next Saturday for the Smart Investor Hour to hear more smart investing from Tim Hayes of RBC Wealth Management. When rolling over your 401k, it's easy to get lost. Look to the experienced, knowledgeable financial advisors from RBC Wealth Management to guide you through the whole 401k rollover process. It's all part of designing a plan that's tailored to your unique investment needs. Call Tim Hayes at 216-774-8906. RBC Wealth Management, a division of RBC Capital Markets, LLC. Member NYSE, FINRA, SIPC. The preceding program's views, claims, or representations may not reflect those of AM 1420, The Answer, or Salem Media. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.